0: section two of monsieur le lecoq part one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by margaret espayat monsieur le lecoq by emile gabourio part one section two the young police agent to whom Gevrol abandoned what he thought an unnecessary investigation was a debutante in his profession his name was lecoq he was some twenty-five or twenty-six years of age almost beardless very pale with red lips and an abundance of wavy black hair he was rather short but well proportioned and each of his movements betrayed unusual energy there was nothing remarkable about his appearance if we except his eyes which sparkled brilliantly or grew extremely dull according to his mood and his nose, the large full nostrils of which had a surprising mobility. The son of a respectable, well-to-do Norman family, Lecoq had received a good and solid education. He was prosecuting his law studies in Paris when, in the same week, blow following blow, he learned that his father had died, financially ruined, and that his mother had survived him only a few hours. HE WAS LEFT ALONE IN THE WORLD, DESTITUTE OF RESOURCES, OBLIGED TO EARN HIS LIVING. BUT HOW? HE HAD AN OPPORTUNITY OF LEARNING HIS TRUE VALUE, AND FOUND THAT IT AMOUNTED TO NOTHING, FOR THE UNIVERSITY, ON BESTOWING ITS DIPLOMA OF BACHELOR, DOES NOT GIVE AN ANNUITY WITH IT. HENCE OF WHAT USE IS A COLLEGE EDUCATION TO A POOR ORPHAN BOY? He envied the lot of those who, with a trade at the ends of their fingers, could boldly enter the office of any manufacturer and say, "I would like to work." Such men were working and eating. Le Coq sought bread by all the methods employed by people who are in reduced circumstances. Fruitless labor. There are a hundred thousand people in Paris who have seen better days. No matter. He gave proofs of undaunted energy. He gave lessons and copied documents for a lawyer. He made his appearance in a new character almost every day, and left no means untried to earn an honest livelihood. At last he obtained employment from a well-known astronomer, the Baron Moset, and spent his days in solving bewildering and intricate problems at the rate of a hundred francs a month but a season of discouragement came. After five years of constant toil, he found himself at the same point from which he had started. He was nearly crazed with rage and disappointment when he recapitulated his blighted hopes, his fruitless efforts, and the insults he had endured. The past had been sad, the present was intolerable, the future threatened to be terrible. Condemned to constant privations, he tried to escape from the horrors of his real life by taking refuge in dreams. Alone in his garret, after a day of unremitting toil, assailed by the thousand longings of youth, Lecoq endeavored to devise some means of suddenly making himself rich, all reasonable methods being beyond his reach. IT WAS NOT LONG BEFORE HE WAS ENGAGED IN DEVISING THE WORST expedients. IN SHORT, THIS NATURALLY MORAL AND HONEST YOUNG MAN SPENT MUCH OF HIS TIME IN PERPETRATING, IN FANCY, THE MOST ABOMINABLE CRIMES. SOMETIMES HE HIMSELF WAS FRIGHTENED BY THE WORK OF HIS IMAGINATION. FOR AN HOUR OF RECKLESSNESS MIGHT SUFFICE TO MAKE HIM PASS FROM THE IDEA TO THE FACT, FROM THEORY TO PRACTICE. This is the case with all monomaniacs. An hour comes in which the strange conceptions that have filled their brains can be no longer held in check. One day he could not refrain from exposing to his patron a little plan he had conceived which would enable him to obtain five or six hundred francs from London. Two letters and a telegram were all that was necessary, and the game was won. It was impossible to fail and there was no danger of arousing suspicion. The astronomer, amazed at the simplicity of the plan, could but admire it. On reflection, however, he concluded that it would not be prudent for him to retain so ingenious a secretary in his service. This was why, on the following day, he gave him a month's pay in advance, and dismissed him, saying, "'When one has your disposition and is poor,' one may either become a famous thief or a great detective choose lecoq retired in confusion but the astronomer's words bore fruit in his mind why should i not follow good advice he asked himself police service did not inspire him with repugnance far from it he had often admired that mysterious power whose hand is everywhere and which although unseen and unheard still manages to hear and see everything. He was delighted with the prospect of being the instrument of such a power. He considered that the profession of detective would enable him to employ the talents with which he had been endowed in a useful and honourable fashion, besides opening out a life of thrilling adventure with fame as its goal. In short, this profession had a wonderful charm for him, so much so, that on the following week, thanks to a letter from Baron Moset, he was admitted into the service. A cruel disenchantment awaited him. He had seen the results, but not the means. His surprise was like that of a simple-minded frequenter of the theatre, when he is admitted to the first time behind the scenes, and is able to pry into the decorations and tinsel that are so dazzling at a distance. However, the opportunity for which he had so ardently longed, for which he had been waiting during many weary months, had come, he thought, at last, as he reached the poivriere with Gevrol and the other police agents. While he was clinging to the window-shutters, he saw, by the light of his ambition, a pathway to success. It was at first only a presentiment, but it soon became a supposition— and then a conviction based on actual facts which had escaped his companions but which he had observed carefully and noted he recognized that fortune had at last turned in his favor when he saw Gévrol neglect all but the merest formalities of examination and when he heard him declare peremptorily that this triple murder was merely the result of one of those ferocious quarrels so frequent among vagrants in the outskirts of the city. Ah, well, he thought, have it your own way. Trust in appearances, since you will see nothing beneath them. But I will prove to you that my youthful theory is better than all your experience." The inspector's carelessness gave lecoq a perfect right to secretly seek information on his own account but by warning his superior officers before attempting anything on his own responsibility he would protect himself against any accusation of ambition or of unduly taking advantage of his comrade such charges might prove most dangerous for his future prospects in a profession where so much rivalry is seen and where wounded vanity has so many opportunities to avenge itself by resorting to all sorts of petty treason. Accordingly, he spoke to his superior officer, saying just enough to be able to remark, in case of success, Ah, I warned you, just enough so as not to dispel any of Gevrol's doubts. The permission which Lecoq obtained to remain in charge of the bodies was his first triumph of the best possible augury. But he knew how to dissimulate, and it was in a tone of the utmost indifference that he requested one of his comrades to remain with him. Then, while the others were making ready to depart, he seated himself upon the corner of the table, apparently oblivious of all that was passing around. He did not dare to lift his head, for fear of betraying his joy. So much did he fear that his companions might read his hopes and plans in the expression of his face. Inwardly he was wild with impatience. Though the murderer submitted with good grace to the precautions that were taken to prevent his escape, it required some time to bind the hands of the widow Chupin, who fought and howled as if they were burning her alive. They will never go, Lecoq murmured to himself. They did so at last, however. Gevrol gave the order to start, and left the house, addressing a laughing good-bye to his subordinate. The latter made no reply. He followed his comrades as far as the threshold, to make sure that they were really going, for he trembled at the thought that Gevrol might reflect, change his mind, and return to solve the mystery, as was his right— his anxiety was needless, however. The squad gradually faded away in the distance, and the cries of widow Chupin died away in the stillness of the night. It was only then that Lecoq re-entered the room. He could no longer conceal his delight. His eyes sparkled as might those of a conqueror taking possession of some vast empire. He stamped his foot upon the floor and exclaimed with exultation, now the mystery belongs to us two alone. End of section two.